Good morning, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Judy Fitzgerald, and I am a 10-year breast cancer survivor. I thank God every day that I'm here, and I take nothing for granted, as I'm sure you all have come to that realization as well. For the past 10 years since my diagnosis, I have been very involved in the breast cancer community, and I know very well how difficult those first few days are when you're newly diagnosed. And in this time of COVID, I can't imagine what it must be like when probably the thing you want the most is a hug from a friend or a visit from your family. And that's been taken away from you in, in this time, you know, critical time. So I want to be here as a voice that hopefully will be able to give you some comfort I am not a medical professional, but I am a, uh, my, my actual profession was a teacher, and uh, my students were a great source of love and support for me. Lucky for me, I was teaching in a Catholic school, and my faith is very important to me. Between my faith and the support of my family, my students, and my friends, it made my my journey bearable. So I'm reaching out to you and just saying that I know how you feel. I know how scared you are. I know how your whole world has been turned upside down. But I hope by listening to some of my my reflections that it will help you to take a deep breath and figure out what the best thing, which the best way forward. So this is chapter three of my book. And I suggest that if you have not listened to the podcast for chapters one and two, that you do that before you start this, so it'll make more sense. So, as in the past, um, I'm chronicling my journey with breast cancer. Uh, And every chapter in my book starts with a quote, which sort of sets the tone for that chapter. And this chapter is called Attacked from All Sides. And the quote that I chose for this chapter is from Job chapter 6, verse 23. And it's called Attacked from All Sides. Fast forward to 2008. Breast cancer self-exams, not me. I had not done them since my benign biopsy, biopsy. 10 years earlier. I still had extremely dense breast, and my fibrocystic disease made it difficult to examine myself. I was happy being blissfully ignorant, thinking that as long as I got my yearly mammogram, I would be fine. After all, they had detected the abnormalities before. I was happy living in this state of denial. I convinced myself that my medical team would be able to detect all problems with a mammogram, so there was no need for me to worry about performing breast self-exams. Big mistake. To borrow a phrase from Queen Elizabeth II, I will look on the end of 2008 and all of 2009 as my anus horribilis, a.k.a. extremely bad year. I did not find my breast cancer. You might say, my breast cancer found me. 
Recently, it had seemed that breast cancer was all around me, but more on that later. What I didn't realize was that it was also growing within. After retiring from teaching in 2007, my husband and I had spent the first winter at our newly purchased Florida condo in the early months of 2008. It was a wonderful four months. My sister-in-law Betty and brother-in-law Arthur and my husband's cousin Elaine and her husband Ted also have condos near us. We had a wonderful winter. I should clarify the terms of my retiring. I had actually only taught for 12 years, three years in England and nine in the States. My husband is older than I am, so I reaped the benefits of leaving work when he retired. I thought I was doing it for him, but as it turned out, it was really for me. On the way back to Rhode Island, we had planned to attend my aunt's and uncle's 50th wedding anniversary in Maryland. Unfortunately, my uncle suffered a serious heart attack, and the party turned into a vigil for his care until he passed. What was remarkable about that visit was that I was able to spend time with my cousin Bob and wife Kathy. Kathy's breast cancer had returned two years earlier, and she was battling lung and liver mets. She and I had had many spiritual discussions about the courage I saw her exhibit and the incredibly positive attitude and uplifting spirit she always de demonstrated. I ironically told her that I hoped I would react in the same courageous way if needed. Of course, silently, I prayed I would never have to know. That July, John and I were fortunate to take a cruise to the Mediterranean for our 29th wedding anniversary. It was a wonderful journey, but the most remarkable of all was our visit to Ephesus, Turkey. Ephesus was, for me, a deeply religious experience, and one which I would seek to repeat in the years to come. In Ephesus, we visited the house, which is believed to have been where the Apostle John took the Virgin Mary to live after Jesus' crucifixion. To say it was overwhelming would be a grave understatement. It was actually surreal. At the site is the house, several water fountains, and a wall of prayers. Since many miracles have been attributed to this site, I had promised Kathy I would pray for her there. And so I did, and attached her name on the prayer wall. I also collected water from the stream that was labeled for health. In September, Bob and Kathy came to Rhode Island for the annual Newport Irish Festival. They had hoped to come the year before, but Kathy's treatment schedule had made it impossible. Now she really wanted to come, no matter how terrible she was feeling with, from her treatments. I was not prepared for the change I would see in Kathy when they arrived at the airport. She was in a wheelchair as the result of one of the side effects of the chemotherapy she was receiving. She was unable to walk long distances because her feet were extremely sensitive and too painful to stand on. Unfortunately, many chemotherapy drugs affect soft tissue like the soles of the feet, making them sensitive and painful. As an added burden, the cancer cells in her abdomen were producing so much fluid that she was painfully swollen. Added contributors to the swelling were the tumors in her stomach and liver. We had a quiet weekend together, and although I cherished their visit, it was hard to see Kathy so uncomfortable. 
I gave Kathy a bottle of the Ephesus water I had collected and told her to use it for drinking and blessing herself. Led by her sister Linda, we began a novena to Teresa of the Little Flower for her recovery. Sadly, things were not looking positive at all at that point. Several weeks later, Kathy's doctor decided to try her on Taxol, a now standard chemotherapy breast cancer drug that had not been available 13 years prior when she was initially treated. She called to say how excited she was about the new treatment, and we all kept up our prayer. Our prayer requests soon became prayers of thanksgiving as the Taxol began to work its magic so incredibly well that we felt we had received our miracle. So did her doctors. Meanwhile, I began a long-term substitute teaching job at my former school, St. Philomena Catholic School in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. I was thrilled to have been asked to serve as a substitute teacher in the sixth grade from September until Christmas while their teacher would be out on maternity leave. I love teaching and really miss the students, so it was wonderful to have this opportunity. It also fit in perfectly with our plans to return to Florida in January for the winter. In October, I began to feel exceptionally tired. I was suffering from continued bleeding, which the doctor attributed to perimenopause. I had also discovered a small lump at the top of my left thigh, which my gynecologist thought, as I did, was a swollen lymph gland. When the bleeding continued into November and December, I think my body was asking for help. I was scheduled for a DNC procedure on Friday, December 12th. By having a minor operation on a Friday, I would not miss more than one day of school. My hope that this would soon solve my bleeding issue. I also saw a surgeon about my leg growth, and it was decided it could be removed at the same time as the DNC. So on December 12th, I had a tag team of doctors perform the two procedures. At that time, I was blissfully unaware that this was a foreshadowing of things to come. During these surgeries, my gynecologist performed the DNC, and my surgeon removed the lump from my leg. All this was accomplished in such a manner, so only one dose of anesthesia was needed. They were simply simple outpatient procedures, so I rested and recovered over the weekend and returned to school on Monday. The lump turned out to be benign, and the DNC solved my other problems. I was so relieved and erroneously thought I was 100% healthy again. In the midst of my medical issues, we received devastating news. My sister-in-law, Betty, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Betty is a true sister to me, not a sister-in-law, and the best sister, friend, family, and confidant anyone could ask for. She's the type of person that no matter what you ask her to do, whether it's convenient or not, the answer is always yes. It was devastating news, to say the least, and we were all extremely concerned. Betty sought treatment at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. Her diagnosis warranted a lumpectomy, followed by chemotherapy and radiation. Betty's tumor was HER2 positive, and so in addition to the Taxol, she would also receive the drug Herceptin every three weeks for one year. Thank God for the Herceptin discovery and the fact that it was now finally available for extended clinical trial. 
Betty was able to partake in the trial, and her prognosis was extremely favorable. One of the most emotional movies I have ever seen is Lifetime's Living Proof. It's the true story of oncologist and researcher Dr. Dennis Slayman, the UCLA doctor who developed the drug Herceptin. It's a heart-wrenching account of how difficult it is to get funding for clinical trials while women are dying awaiting new treatments. It used to be aired each year during Breast Cancer Month, but now it is also available on Netflix. Just to clarify what HER2 means, someone with a HER2 or HER2 positive breast cancer has a breast cancer that tests positive for a protein called human epidermal growth factor receptor 2, hence HER2. This characteristic promotes the rapid growth of breast cancer cells. In approximately one out of every three breast cancers, the cancer cells make an excess of this HER2 due to a gene mutation, causing them to grow faster. This gene mutation can occur in many types of cancer, not only breast cancer. Unfortunately, HER2 cancers are less responsive to hormone treatment therapy. At the time of Betty's diagnosis, the new treatment using Herceptin was only available through clinical trial. Luckily, Betty was able to receive this wonder drug. The good news is that at present, this treatment is now readily available and is in fact standard protocol for all HER2 breast cancers. Immediately, all the plans to spend the weekend winter in Florida were put on hold. It's amazing how things can change in an instant. Or as the saying goes, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Meanwhile, the post-op visit for my surgeries coincided with my yearly gynecological checkup, which included a mammogram. I dreaded that mammogram more than any other part of the exam. The normal protocol at my doctor's office was to have the mammogram taken at the lab. The films would then be sent to a nearby hospital to be read by a radiologist. If a suspicious area was found, they would call to set up an appointment at the hospital for more films. Just the year before, I had been called back for more films on both breasts, but after films and a sonogram on my left breast were repeated, I was told I was fine. Therefore, in 2008, in the hope of avoiding a callback, I had asked that my mammogram be scheduled directly at the hospital instead of my doctor's office. So on December the 22nd, I drove to the hospital after school and had my mammogram. I asked the technician if she saw anything suspicious, but of course, she was not allowed to say. From what I could see, by peeking at the computer screen, not that I knew what I was looking at, but nothing just seemed out of the ordinary, of course, the reality of the situation was that I didn't have a clue what I was looking at. I got, a, I got dressed and left quickly in a festive mood. I was very excited because while I was at my appointment, my husband was picking up my younger son James at the airport. He was arriving for the holidays and we would have almost two weeks together. I couldn't wait to see him. My older son Jonathan was also arriving the next day. We are a very close family and I love my boys more than I can say. James was living and working in San Francisco, and Jonathan was in his second year of law school at the University of Florida in Gainesville. 
having them both home together was a rare treat, and I wanted to enjoy every minute. Christmas is always a large affair at our house. We host both my family and my husband's family, and we typically have between 20 to 27 people for Christmas dinner. It was wonderful to be all together, but we were still very concerned about Betty's situation. She had required a second surgery just days prior to Christmas to obtain the clean margin needed from the cancer cells in her breast. We were praying they had been successful the second time and she wouldn't need any more surgeries. We would receive the good news a few days later that the margin was indeed clear. The next few days flew by quickly and Jonathan returned to Florida on the 28th of December to start class again. James had made plans with some Notre Dame friends to meet in New York for New Year's, and John and I had planned a quiet New Year's Eve at home. I had also agreed to work at school on the morning of the 29th to meet with the teacher I had been replacing for the past two months. I wanted to update her on class progress to ensure a smooth transition when I left in January for Florida. She would be resuming her position when Christmas break ended the following week. While we were working at school, my cell phone rang at around 12.30. We had just re finished reviewing materials and were in the process of packing up to leave. When I looked at the caller ID and saw it was the hospital where my mammogram had been performed the previous week, my heart sank. My intuition told me something was terribly wrong. The end of this chapter. So I hope you'll tune in again and my pad podcast for the next chapter is listed in my podcast offerings. And I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you for joining my podcast. Please like and subscribe to my podcast. And visit my website for the latest information on the breast cancer vaccine at www.sistersforprevention.com. Goodbye and God bless.